Welcome to the Accepted Podcast, a college admissions podcast for the savvy student. My name is Tyler Kusunoki. I'm an admission consultant and I work with students from all over the world to help them achieve their college dreams. If you like what you're hearing and want to support this podcast, please be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are getting this. Please also hit this bell icon for notifications to stay up to date. Leave us a rating as well as that really helps this podcast reach more people and lets us know how we are doing. Wanted to remind everybody that there is an event coming up in a couple weeks. So on April 29th, this uh, April 29th, which is a Saturday, one of my colleagues, Harry Hu, you've heard him on this podcast a couple times before, he is going to be giving a talk on how to build your college list, um, something that is I'm going to talk a little bit about today as well, but very, very important topic, especially given the time of year, uh, that this is the need to make sure you are starting to build your college list strategically and you're building it with the most up-to-date information and with a proper strategy in terms of your EAED in terms of your reach targets and your safeties in terms of finding some of those hidden gems right all of these things and especially for the student developing a framework and developing a checklist to determine if a school is right for them all of those pieces are going to be important all of those pieces will be discussed uh, at this presentation so this presentation is on April 29th from 6 to 7 p.m. JST uh, which does mean that it's going to be quite early for those of you who are in the U.S. However, if you do register for this, a recording of the talk will be sent to you. This will be held on Zoom, so it will be video. There will be images and different things which may help illustrate the the challenges and the strategies even more. So if you just sign up for this, uh, you will be able to receive a recording of that event as well. So please make sure you do so, and you can do so at uh, tokyoacademics.com slash events. That is tokyoacademics.com slash events. All right, to get into things today, first of all, I wanted to congratulate everybody, all the seniors who have found out where you are going and have hopefully made a commitment or will be making a commitment pretty soon. Congratulations. I know it's been a crazy year and I'm going to talk a little bit about how crazy of a year it's been in a moment, but congratulations to you. Congratulations to your families and your teachers and your college counselors. Um, It has been a very intense, every cycle is intense, but I think this year, uh, Uh, brings with it the sort of return to normalcy um, since COVID. But I think along with that comes a heightened, renewed interest in getting in. And this comes right on the cusp of a lot of pretty significant changes to the college application process, whether that be the uh, the change in the SAT, whether that be the Supreme Court decision that's about to come down, um, all of the potential shifts in legacy acceptances that are rumored to be moving around, right? And just overall, the skepticism and uh, assessment of uh, universities as worth the money, right? In terms of it being, you know, a quarter of a at minimum around a quarter of a million dollars, right? So uh, as an investment what's what is the child what are you as a student getting out of it and so there is a lot of skepticism there is a lot of there are a lot of changes that are happening now and so in light of all of that making sure that you are choosing the right college is going to be important but also in light of that i just wanted to say to all of the seniors congratulations this has been a crazy crazy time and you have all worked hard and hopefully gotten into places that 
you are interested in attending. And so if you're still waiting for some wait, some name for your name to come off a couple wait lists, that's fine. Best of luck. But please, please make sure you commit somewhere. I think that holding out hope for wait lists can be folly. All right. So a lot of schools have released their stats, and I love going through some of these stats just to kind of see kind of where the trends are. And the trends are kind of back on track from what we thought, from the direction we thought things were heading in before COVID hit. Um, COVID did see kind of a, a little bit of a fluctuation in the numbers, but the general trend ahead of that hit, um, ahead of the pandemic, was that it was going to be more students applying to more schools, but schools not shifting the, not adding more seats. And as a result, the percentages were going to go down across the board. And that is something we are seeing pretty definitively. When I look at things like this, the schools like all of the IVs are seven or six percent or below. And this is, you know, 10 years ago, they were well into the double digits. But Columbia, 4%, Cornell, 7%, Dartmouth, 6%, uh, Harvard, 3%, Yale, I believe was 4%. And then schools, which is lower even than MIT. MIT was 5% this year. I know 1% difference, big deal. But I think even the uh, even schools that are, you know, maybe considered very, almost obviously very, very good, but not quite Ivy in terms of overall reputation, right? Were uh, incredibly competitive this year. NYU had 120,000 applicants, right? Um, for an acceptance rate of 8%. Uh, Duke had almost 50,000 applicants and their acceptance rate was 6%. Vanderbilt, right? 4% acceptance rate. And so all of these schools uh, that are, you know, within sort of the top 25-ish, Right, you're looking at around you're looking at around a ten percent acceptance rate, really, which is insanity given where things were even you know five six years ago, and so the difficulty with a lot of this, uh, knowing that any school within a certain framework, almost due to name reputation, but also just the fact that this trend is going to continue. Um, of more students applying to more places um, with there being less, with there being no increase in the seats available, the natural trajectory is going to continue to be fewer and fewer options available and mo- everything is going to be more competitive, right? UCLA had almost 150,000 applicants this year, right? UC San Diego, 130,000. And so you are, and that brings their acceptance rate down to around a 10 to 15% on top of the limitations they have on out-of-state students. So you have all these barriers, right, that are kind of starting to hit across the board, right, whether that be these big schools like the UCs or smaller schools like the liberal arts. Swarthmore had 15,000 applicants. Swarthmore is a tiny school. They can they accepted less than 1,000 because that's the size of their class, right, um, and, uh, and which leaves them at around a 7%, which is the same acceptance rate as Northwestern. And so when you look across the board at all of these, right, you really start to see that as especially with test optional continuing to be a policy for most schools now a lot of schools are going to revise their policy after this application cycle um, but most look like they are going to continue it 
right? Um, with that happening, with the anxiety around getting in, right? Um, this is a very self-fulfilling cycle, right? Um, it's a very much a, the numbers are going to go lower and lower, which is going to increase the anxiety, which is going to increase the tendency for more students to apply to more schools just to guarantee they get in somewhere, which is then going to decrease the percentages further and the cycle repeats. In some ways, it's brilliant. Good job, colleges, on establishing a cycle of fear um, and anxiety, which I am grateful for because that is why I have gainful employment. But at the same time, it really sucks as a student, right? And it sucks just, just looking at the students that I worked with this cycle. There was a lot of that paralysis, that that kind of fear and anxiety around, well, what if I don't get into anywhere? And so I need to, I need to cover all my bases. So rather than, you know, the school recommended application amount of like 10 to 12 schools, I'm going to apply to like 20 because I need to make sure I get in somewhere. Right. And so um, it is within that context, right, of this heightened anxiety of these crazy, completely unrealistic numbers, right, where every school that is above a certain ranking, basically, and I would say that any school above like a top 30, right, top 30, top 35, to some degree, even like a top 50, right, um, and <clears throat> any school that is within those bounds is going to be almost impossible to get into, right, um, that makes things incredibly stressful, and difficult to sort of start to think about, well, what on earth can I do to ensure that come May, I'm committing to somewhere that is good. I'm committing to somewhere that I am interested in going to, that I'm committing to somewhere that is at least a target school for me, right? You're saying you never want to be in a situation where you, you must go to a safety in general, right? And so how do I do that when it seems like it's more of a lottery, than ever. Okay. And so it is in that kind of context that I wanted to talk briefly about um, kind of how to start going about your college research and what factors you are using to decide which, which schools are going to be a good fit for you. And of course, Harry's going to go into this more in a couple weeks, but I think um, just upon seeing these numbers, I think it is important to start going into this because when, if a student comes to me and shows me their college list and it's all Ivies and top 20 schools, I, in good faith, can't go ahead with that right because i there like we will obviously do our best in those situations that we've certainly had students before who have come in and said okay what are the top 30 schools i had a student like this a few years ago who came in and said okay can you show me the u.s news top 30 i was like okay um and then i showed him and he was just like okay these all sound pretty good i'm just gonna apply to these i was like a that's a ton of essays b that's like almost 10k in application fees alone right and like, what are you doing? He was like, nah, it's fine. Um, and and then he went ahead and did it. He got accepted to quite a few schools, um, which is like he's an excellent student um, and very driven. But that is not everyone's situation. Not everyone is as disciplined and as driven as a student. Not everyone has $10,000 to just throw at application fees, right? On top of um, kind of counseling support, essay support, all of those different sort of things. And so it's really important both for um, 
manageability of your own schedule and workload because you still need to keep up your grades. You still need to keep going with your extracurriculars, all these things, right? Um, it may, it's important financially, right? And it's important just in terms of your overall approach, right? To be a little bit more intentional about your course, about your, your college selection, about your list, right? If you are so fortunate to be in a situation where you can just shotgun it and see where you, where, what sticks, that's great for you, right? But for everybody else, I kind of wanted to just talk a little bit about um, some factors that may be not immediate that you would maybe hope to try to consider when building your college list. And hopefully we can see if that can be of some guidance, right? Because when you, depending on the factor, right? And all of you know this because you've done spreadsheets or you've done searches where when you change the filter, different things rise to the top, right? And so what are some filters that we can start to go with? Right. I talked a little bit before about rankings and not that long ago, I caught maybe about a month ago, I talked a little bit about rankings and how you really need to, if you're going to say you care about rankings, then please actually care about rankings. Right? But don't look at the overall school ranking, especially if you have a very specific thing that you are interested in studying because um, those individual by major rankings may end up very, very different from what you what you perceive as the overall ranking of the school. And the examples that I often use are business and computer science, right? Business and computer science, we think of very specific programs. Business specifically, right? We think like UPenn Wharton, we think NYU Stern, we think uh, Umish Ross, right? We think of these very specific, we think of UC Berkeley Haas School of Business, we think of these very specific programs. And all of those are great, duh, right? But Again, NYU had um, NYU had like an eight percent acceptance rate this year, right? And Stern is even more rigid than that, right? And so, are there other options for you? And of course, there are. And um, and one of the things that you will find if you really start to use those rankings, right? Um, and I actually would say, um, rather than using U.S. News, right? Find find rankings that are niche that are tied to your, I shouldn't have said niche because niche is also a college ranking site. Sorry, find, find rankings that, um, that are specified to the domain that you're interested in. Not every major will have this, of course, but for business in particular, right? Um, there is a website called Poets and Quants, right? Poets and Quants. And they specialize in business school analysis, both undergrad and grad school. But their list and their ranking system is very much more tied to the things that a business major would be considering, right? Of course, class rigor, professor quality, right? Student professor, student professor ratio, but also outcomes, right? Graduation outcomes, where do they go, right? What do alumni say about the program? How well equipped do they, how much money do they make, right? All of these things that a business major would potentially consider to be valuable, there are rankings for you there, right? And what, what you will do when you go there and you start to read through it is that there are other schools that you maybe weren't considering, or that you weren't aware of that are going to be ranked very, very highly on that list, right? Whether that be the University of Indiana, Indiana University, Bloomington, right? University of Maryland, right? There are going to be these schools that are going to show up that are going to be top 10, top 15, specifically for the thing that you want to study, right? And because their name is not as well known, because they're not as um, big name as a UPenn Warren, as an NYU, right? you are not going to have as much competition, 
right? Because that is something that you are going to need to pay very close mind to, especially if you're an international student, right? If you are in state, if you're whatever, like, or if you're in the U.S. in general, it's a different set of priorities. If you are an international student, paying attention to your classmates, having a sense of where they are applying is very, very important. Um, I hate that I have to do this with my with the students who come to me and are aiming high, but I often have to sit them down and say, okay, where are you applying? I had to do that just this past year. I had a student who had no legacy status, um, who was incredible, just a rock star of a student in all facets, right? But um, we actually had to sit down and say, you're great, you're awesome, but can you please take some time to dig around, gather some intel for me um, about your class, right? Who has legacy, right? That's one step. Who has significant legacy in that their parent is a donor or is a uh, alumni interviewer or is a regional representative, whatever, right? Um, And how many of those kids who have legacy are thinking of applying of ED to that specific legacy school, Right? Because if they those kids exist, we probably shouldn't target that school as your early decision. Right? I hate all of that. That whole conversation sucks that I have to have. Right? But it's a reality and is something that is very important when it comes to college list building as an international student is you need to know that you're like whether or not quotas are real, right? The reality is that colleges are not going to take a ton of kids from uh, from an inter- from a single international school. And this is especially true when it comes to the high tier schools, because they just don't have they're they're not going to do it. And so you need to know where are where what's my competition immediately around me before you even think about Japan or like your country or beyond. What's the immediate competition around me? Right, and build around that. And so finding these schools that maybe not a whole lot of your classmates are aware of who are then going to apply, who that that you can apply to is very, very, very beneficial. And so taking because those rankings matter, those rankings are known whether or not you are aware of Indiana University, whether or not you are in aware of the University of Maryland, those rankings articulate a reality that the people who would employ you in that particular field are aware of it. And that's all that matters at the end of the day, right? Once you become CEO, which college you went to, no one's going to care, right? And so I think that I think that that is one thing when thinking about your rankings is who is your immediate competition. Pay attention to the rankings for the major that you're thinking of pursuing so that you can find the schools that maybe not a whole lot of people are thinking about applying to because everyone around you has bought into this idea that name is everything. Right? Veer away from that when starting to think about building your college list. The other thing that I wanted to point out is another way of looking at it, right? Because so much now, a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the criticism around universities is, what's the point of me spending all this money if at the end of the day, my child has to start off working part-time at McDonald's, right? So career outcomes, salary outcomes, your return on investment is really, 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 really important. And so one of the things to start considering is what are these return on investment metrics? And the nice thing about being in 
this age of data science is that we have a ton of this information, okay? And so one of the standout universities that comes to mind with this, so Payscale, some of you may be familiar with Payscale, is a website that co- that does a lot of analysis on job expectations, on different outcomes, on how much you can expect to earn, right? Um, that's, a, that's the focus of the website. One of the things that I like looking at every so often is going to the college rankings for Payscale of how colleges are ranked in terms of uh, in terms of where their graduates stand at the end of a certain amount, right? Whether that be mid-career, right, or 10 years on. That kind of is the metric, right? By mid-year, around five years postgraduate, how much money are they making, right? And then in 10 years, how much are they making? And if you start to go down this list, it's kind of the things that you would expect, right? MIT is very much there. Um, A lot of the STEM schools are there. Harvey Mudd uh, is one of the smaller schools, is one of the Claremont schools. You wouldn't expect a Harvey Mudd has been kind of top three, four, five, and, and sometimes top one, depending on the year. But because it is highly STEM, it is very well reputed, and it speaks to the fact that there are certain networks and certain systems in place to ensure these kids land high paying jobs at the end of it. But if you look down that list, one of the surprising things that you will see are these schools that you wouldn't normally associate with being a top tier university. And one of those is Santa Clara University. Santa Clara University routinely is top 10 in terms of salary returns. Right, salary levels early and mid-career. Okay, so five years, 10 years. Five years post-grad, it's around 70,000. Right, 10 years post-grad is 140, 150, 140 to 150. And that's the median, right? Which means, of course, there are outliers on either side. But that puts it on par with pretty much every other Ivy, right? The differences are not that big. And it is routinely top 10 in terms of salary. Uh, return part of it is its proximity to Silicon Valley. Um, other parts are the fact that um, a lot of its curriculum is built out of real world experience and hands on experience, which speaks well to employers, right, and can allow for a skill set that can uh, equip a student to rise through the ranks faster, right, and and that becomes a factor because this is a school that I would say a lot of my students. Um, I tend to recommend applying to early action. It's a very good early action school. The acceptance rate is very generous, right? And uh, and a student can go, can study well, and come out with uh, huge career advantages, right? And these are not speculative and these are not anecdotal. This is data, right? That students come out from Santa Clara University ahead of the game, especially compared to its ranking. Right, and so that becomes maybe a lens, right, through which to start looking, depending on what you care about in terms of what am I going to college for, and that is probably the other important conversation that you must have: is what is college to me? What is this experience all about? What am I spending all this money on? Well, what are my parents spending all this money on? Right? What am I hoping to get out of it? Is it a step? up to a career? Is it a thorough, awesome learning experience? Is it to create memories and find my BFF, find my significant other, find like, what? It, why are you going to college? And then make sure you are finding colleges that fit that criteria. And once you start really looking closely, you're going to find these schools that are very, very good at doing the thing that you need out of university that you and your family are willing to invest in for your university experience 
that not everyone's applying to, right? And that's perfect, right? That be, can become sort of the cornerstone of your application process, okay? So um, just some quick thoughts there. Harry's going to follow up and provide you all much more, but always look for hidden gems. And I may do a couple podcasts later on on schools that I genuinely consider to be hidden gems, right? But they take some time to think about what you want out of university. Then find the online resources to figure out which schools adhere most closely to that priority, and go from there. Okay, thanks for listening to the Accepted Podcast. Again, my name is Tyler Kusinoki. Hope you enjoyed today's topic on uh, the recent acceptance rates and how to start building a college list more strategically. Join us next week for more on the complex world of college admissions. Again, if you like what you're hearing and want to support this podcast, please leave us a rating. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, your platform of choice. Subscribe, hit the bell icon for notifications to stay up to date. We also are regularly hosting events, as I mentioned, April 29th with Harry, going to go through building a college list. Um, please do sign up for that. If you can't make it, you're going to get the recording. Uh, I think it will be super useful. It's at the perfect right time for it. Uh, so please do sign up and attend. But if you're interested in other info sessions, of course, all of that will be on tokyoacademics.com slash events. That is tokyoacademics.com slash events. That's it for today. Remember, the key to getting in is getting ready. Thank you.